everybody and welcome to my podcast. And this is the series, What is Language Coaching? I'm Rachel Paling, and I'm extremely delighted to have a lady with us today who has a wealth of experience. Um, I believe about 38 years of experience in, in the language uh, training, teaching, education field. Marjorie Rosenberg. Hello there. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Fine, how are you? I'm fine, and I'm so delighted, really, to have your input and, and really hear what you have to say, because I think you have some great things to say about the topic of language coaching. But first, how about you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm an American. I worked in the States in education and then in an advertising agency and came to Austria in 1981 um, as an opera singer looking for a job, didn't find one, and began teaching. And then did a diploma in adult education, began doing some teacher training, and then in 92, I found out about neurolinguistic programming and began my NLP training and continued on from there to the status of trainer. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting, and, did, and I did lots and lots of seminars for teachers uh, on NLP and also for some companies. Super. Yes, and that yeah. was back in 1992. Uh, I began my training for NLP in 92, yes. Wow. Okay, and after that... Sorry, I didn't catch that. After, after well, I, I did the practitioner in Austria, and then I went to the States to work with Robert Diltz, for those who know who Robert Diltz is, mm -hmm. at Santa Cruz University, which is where it all began. I did the master practitioner, and then I went back and did the trainer's training. Right. Super. And you were connecting it back then, even, into language learning. Uh, yes, because I also did a course with Michael Grinder, who is the brother of John Grinder, who's one of the founders. And Michael, well, it was, it was for education. He does NLP for educators, which I was able to transfer into general teaching ideas and lots of things like rapport with a class, pacing and leading in a class, things that help you as a teacher to uh, use the techniques, because the original techniques were really more geared for therapists. Right. Some of it was for business, and the training that I did as a trainer, we could choose between the health profession or the business profession, and I chose business. Right, right. So then you continued uh, language training, and you started also writing books. I mean, there are, there are many, many books that you've actually written. Yes, uh, my first book was published in 2001, and it was just republished, uh, so one with communicative business activities, but I also worked on school book series in Austria and in Poland. Um, I have, I did books with Cambridge University Press in the business English area. Uh, I did a book with Pearson on banking and finance, and now I'm working on Business Partner, which is a new course book aimed at adults, mostly university students, multi-level, and I'm on the author team for that. And that's been quite a bit of work. Very interesting, um, different type of work than I've had in the past. 
Well, I, I do want to say, Marjorie, you know, I think all of us as language professionals, we're extremely grateful for your input because, you know, there's been a lot of uh, input over the years and it's we are the ones benefiting from uh, these materials. So grateful for that. How do you, <laughs> how do you think um, language and the language industry, language training has changed since you really first started back in the 80s? Well, I think some of the things have definitely stayed the same. The adult education centers are still offering courses, still using course books to teach. Um, private language schools are still working. As, I don't know if there are major differences or not because I'm not involved in them. I do think the materials are different. I think the materials now are much more interactive, many more links to videos and so on. When I began, we were given a cassette and a cassette player, and we play the listening comprehension exercises for the groups. And now, of course, there are videos. There are more things they can do at home or online. And, of course, the whole um, aspect of online teaching right. is very different. I did my first online course for the EVO, the Electronic Village Online, through the Business English SIG in 2014. But I don't normally teach online. Right. Right, so yes, we've got this progress of um, more interactivity and, and then more yes. connectivity. Yes, and um, another thing that we do now that I didn't do when I started is to keep in touch with students outside of class, both through emails and social media. And when I find something interesting, an interesting video or an interesting article, I can immediately send it to my students. And then we can discuss it in class. And that is something that when I started, we simply couldn't do. We didn't have the technology. Right, right. Yes. So definitely. I think there is a, there's much more of that going on today. Also, when a question comes up about vocabulary, um, there was a question that came up, the difference between coworker and colleague. And I said, wait, I'll go to Facebook and I'll put it into the business English group <laughs> the, the page. And I think I got something like 40 answers. Wow. Yeah, and my students were thrilled yes. because they, they felt very important. Wow, yes. people yes. answered our question, <laughs> but also the fact that it was coming from around the world. Yes. And companies today are much more global than they were. That's right. That's right. So it's all much more um, realistic than it used to be. It used to be we had to look in a printed dictionary. That's it. Yes. And um, now I have my, my personal learning network. Yeah. Yeah. that I can ask these questions. And it's it's quite interesting, the differences in that. I also see um, students' posts on Facebook or they see mine. They make comments in English outside of class, which is also something different. Yes, yes, and encouraging them to, to really keep that language alive all the time. Exactly. Wow. Yes. Now, we come to this wonderful question that is really the, the question of this pod series. What is language coaching for you? Okay. Language coaching for me is helping people to develop personally and to figure out the things that they need on their own. I'm not there to tell them, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do something different. Um, my other big area of interest and I've done research on is learning styles. And when I find out what someone needs to learn or how they learn, I can give them ideas. But I need to get the information from them first. Yes. So it starts with self-awareness. 
Um, I might have to reframe their beliefs. I mean, one of the things we hear so often is, I can't learn languages, which is blocking them. It's not helpful. So by going back and looking at that and finding out where that belief comes from, which there are many, many ways of doing this, there's something called meta, um, meta model within NLP, which is a specific way of asking questions to get them to, to clarify answers. Um, it could be going back on a timeline where they actually go back to the point where they first had a problem mm. and looking at it. It could be disassociating from themselves as that bad, lang- bad, you know, with quotes, yes. bad language learner and saying, hmm, actually I'm doing that or to say that person is doing the best job they can yeah. and letting go of guilt. All these things, um, anchoring something positive, a positive feeling when they did something well. Mm. These kinds of things can help them enormously in getting over beliefs that are in the way. Right. Um, there's, yeah, the whole idea of rapport. This is where we begin in NLP. Yeah. Setting up rapport in the classroom, which is done through a variety of methods, uh, some of it is using the same language they use. I mean, I've, we found it was very interesting when I started working with adults that very low levels much preferred working with my Austrian colleagues. Right. And the reason for this was I was seen as the enemy. I was the person whose native language was the language they had to learn, and some of them didn't want to. Right, so threatening. And my... Yeah, and the Austrians were able to, first of all, make jokes about it, to explain how difficult they had found it to learn a particular thing, and they were able to establish rapport in a very different way than I was. Yes, yeah. And that was very, very interesting, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, um, at this point, I only have a few one-to-one students, and they are all at least B1 and up, so this problem doesn't come up. But the rapport is important. Yes, Yes. It has to be there. And I've been at the bank I teach at now for over 30 years, and there are certain in-jokes that we have. And when I have a new student, uh, you know, I'll bring up one of these little in-jokes, and the rapport is then immediately there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But then language coaching is about sort of using the coaching as a, let's say, a delivery to, to get people to flow with the language. Well, I think if you're trained in something like NLP, neurolinguistic programming, or psychology, you can do certain things in class that encourage that. But I think we have to really make sure we we realize there is a difference. There is language teaching, and there is coaching people. And I don't think that we can say we are language coaches simply because we teach English. So if I'm doing something in class... Um, very specifically, which is coaching. For example, I had uh, I have a class of five. One day I only had two people, mm. and one of them is learning to be a coach. And he said, could we do the goal model from NLP so I can practice it? I said, sure. That is coaching. He coached the other person, and she talked about a personal problem. Right. And that was a coaching session. Right. Of course, they did it in English. I Afterwards, I went back and I said, okay, now here's the vocabulary you needed. Then I was leaving the coaching role yeah. and becoming a language teacher. 
Right. But I think making sure we do not mix them up is really important. Right. Absolutely. And, yeah. No, I And I can give agree. you an example of a colleague of mine who is studied psychology but is also a mathematician, and she does what she calls math coaching, and I asked her what this is, and she said she spends the first part of the lesson with its one-to-one with a student teaching them math, and the second part working on anxiety, self-esteem, and all of this, but that is pure coaching. Right. Right. Getting them over the hurdles of the fear of mathematics. Right. Yes. Yes. So it is. It's coaching through stress, um, personal beliefs, yes. negativity, right. negative mindset, etc. Yeah. Now, reflection. One of the best um, things I learned in, actually, from Michael Grinder for teachers is, what we do is when we've had a really awful day, something went wrong, when we look back on this, reflection should be in the third person. So I had a problem with a boss or a, or a colleague, and I go back and say, so Marjorie had this problem, and she did this, this, this. What it does is it disassociates the person from what happened. Right. It's much easier to be unemotional if you speak of yourself in the third person. Mm, absolutely. And then to take that and put it in first person, tomorrow I am going to dot, dot, dot. Yep. And it takes enormous practice. It is not something simple, but it is something that can be used in one of those really stressful situations. Yes. When a student says, I failed my final exam and I don't know what to do, then to go back and use that in yep. the discussion, that's coaching. Yes. I'm not teaching them English. I'm coaching them to help them to deal with their stress and their problems. Right. Right. Now, what do you think then about, um, I mean, with neuro-language coaching, what we, what we do, we use sort of the, the principles, the competences and the structure from the coaching world as the vehicle of delivery of the language transfer, if you like. Well, I mean, I, I would say that since I'm using things like rapport, um, I am... If, if they come up with something like, um, no one in my family has ever learned a language, I might say, nobody, which is meta model. Mm -hmm. Of course, I can do that. But am I actually teaching the language? I mean, some things, yes, I do when I leave them on their, on their own to speak and I don't interrupt them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I go over the vocabulary afterwards. Um, being polite, being respectful, all of that comes from partially from the NLP training, right. and that is part of my lesson. Right. So I think it's the way we teach, right. um, giving them the space, saying, you're the expert on your subject. Yeah. Explain it to me. Yes. Yes, that's probably using coaching for the delivery. Right. But teaching grammar and, and vocabulary, we still have to go back to our language teacher hats. Right. But I think you're right. I think it is yes. It is combined with the delivery. Yes, and it is that distinction of are we coaching yes. a, a psychological dilemma or, you know, a blockage, yes. or are we delivering in a certain way? And, and there, yes, right. we, we have yes. a different that's way. Where, that's yeah. where we're doing it, yes. Yes. And, yes. and I think that's part of, of being a good teacher. Right. And I totally agree with you. I do think, you know, it's that going beyond... The teacher and I always say that we have so much wealth and richness in all the educational uh, let's say experience and history that we have and how do we embrace mm -hmm. that 
all of it yes. and, and move yeah. forward and adapt and yeah. change and come to the learners of today with all that we can to help them. Yeah. And just knowing their learning style for me has been enormously helpful. I know there's lots of controversy about this, but we've done various models in this one group that I've had now for four years. And I have one student who is extremely analytical and he needs to know the exact translation of a word, yeah. a general description or a general translation isn't good enough for him. Yeah. It's his style. And when he gets his phone out, I'll, I'll always say, oh, of course, this is Mr. Stone's. He needs to know it. Let's give him a minute yeah. to find the best translation. Yes. And it's fine. It and is. he feels accepted. Yes. And, and I have He's to say... He's not the weird guy who's looking up the word and holding everybody up. Right. And Marjorie, I totally, totally mm -hmm. back you on this. You know, neuroscience doesn't back us on the learning styles. And I do think it's because they have no proof. And they're always saying that, you know, learning styles don't exist. But I, in my experience and, and from what I'm hearing from you as well... We are all different. Every brain is different. Absolutely. We all have different styles. I know Absolutely. I have a definite style. So, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what they mean by proof. Uh, in talking to some people, it, psychologists say it's the experience of the learner. If we, it, right. if we ignore the fact that people learn differently, we are ignoring their experience. Absolutely. But even in small children, we have friends who we meet in Greece. Their child is three. And this is such an analytical child. His mother said when he began walking, he didn't get up until he had mapped out the way he was going to walk and knew exactly where he could grab on. Wow. Wow. And lots of kids just get up and start walking. <laughs> yes. Wow. And he did this. We watched him because it was very, the sand was hot and he sat there for a minute thinking about, okay, can I do that without my shoes and knew exactly you know, how many places he'd have to put his feet in the hot sand and where there was, there was shade. It was, watching this was just amazing. Goodness, goodness. So, yes. Yeah. And so I'm sorry, I absolutely believe that we yeah. do learn differently. Absolutely. And people who say we don't because there's no concrete evidence, well, mm. just have a look at what students actually do yes. to learn. Yes, and as you I say... I think anyone who thinks this needs to go and learn a new language themselves and observe themselves. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, um, your, your analytical gentleman feels acknowledged and recognized and, and yeah. given his space to be who he is. Um, yeah, I, and interestingly, he's the guy who sets up our schedule. And when we first started, we went over the dates, and then I got this wonderful printed schedule with all the, you know, the, the weeks written out and all the names and places for them to sign, and he's in charge of this. Yeah, and, wow. and getting the rooms, organizing the rooms, and everything else. Yes. And he's the one that does it. Yes, yes, yes. And he just, that was him. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just um, just to give another little different example, I had a gentleman who liked to actually spell a new word looking up in the air and punching it with his head. You know, okay. sort of yeah. uh, looking up well, and up that's right, yeah. that's right. And, and mm -hmm. pun, you know, you could see his head moving as he was spelling the word. And yeah. af after that, when I realized, I would encourage him to do it. So whenever we had a new word, yeah. come on, get it up there. Let's, let's print it out in your brain, you know? So, yeah. There's actually an NLP st uh, spelling strategy that does that. Wow. That has people visualize the word, yeah. You know, yes. it's, I absolutely believe in this. I'm, 
Yes. 100% convinced in observing students and teachers. I did over 400 seminars for teachers, not all on NLP, but but the differences in the way they take in information and, of course, my students, yeah. it's yeah. day and night. Yes, yeah. So how do you see the future of the language industry? That's such a difficult question. Mm. I mean, I do think there will be more interaction over social media. Of course, lots of people have gone to online teaching. Um, Very hard to say because I'm not at an institution where I have lots of students. I'm just in one company. I think materials will have to be more and more interactive. Uh, Materials are so expensive to produce today that I don't think they'll be coming as quickly, to be honest. Right, right. I don't know what else new is out there. It used to be that there was, you know, every publisher had a new book coming every year or every two years. Mm. I'm not sure if that's going to continue. Well, we have the electronic world now, don't we, as well? Uh, yes, but they are finding, going back and finding the students actually learn more when they have a book and they write on paper, but... I mean, you can produce things electronically. I don't know if you've worked with electronic materials in class. Uh, it does slow things down yeah. yes. to some extent. Yes. And the students do want the visualization, you know, the pictures in the book and all of this. It's very hard to say. Yeah. Some of my students really, really want to use a book, and others just they want to do the materials that they need to, to have ready for a presentation. Yes. I don't know. I have the feeling we're all going to need to be more adaptable, more flexible, um, be open to new ideas, yep. Yep. and so on. Yes, the world is uh, an open book at the moment, isn't it? It's uh, a little bit... Yes, and one thing actually I can say that's been interesting for me, um, after I served as IATAVL president for two years and chaired meetings, and being on the board of trustees taught me an enormous amount about, about the way a charity functions in the UK, and which is also as, as a trading company. And this has been an amazing transfer to my students. So getting out there and actually doing the things that they do mm. gave me a real leg up. And they said, wow, you really understand our world. Yes. And I walked into one lesson with a member of the board, and he was saying how he had to Uh, record something that was going to be broadcast in Bosnia, and he was quite nervous about it. And I said, oh, God, I had to do this with a a talk for TESOL in the States, and it's really harrowing. And for me, it was in my my first language. And he says, do you really understand what I'm going through? Mm. And I think this is something that we may be seeing more and more, that people actually want us not just to read about what they're doing, but to actually experience it. So when we present at a conference, when we have to get a PowerPoint presentation ready, when we have a Q&A session, this is what our students do. That's right. That's right. And I think that, that taking advantage of us, of our own learning, is going to become much more important than it has been in the past. Yes, it's know-how, isn't it, if you like? Yes. And it's that and the know-how experience. transfer. Yes. Yeah. And the experience, the anecdotes of, you know, when if we never go anywhere, never do anything outside our classroom, we yeah. don't have many anecdotes to tell. That's right. That's but right. When, I mean, I, I was going to a conference and I had a cab driver that didn't find the airport. It was incredible. 
I almost missed the flight. But this is the kind of thing you can start a presentation with. That's right. That's right. Yes. And my students can say, oh, my God, yes. This, you know, they, it's that added rapport that we understand their world. Yes. Yes. And I think you're right. This will be key uh, to the future to, to really help yeah. and identify and connect with our learners. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have students at other trainers who said, oh, my God, that person was so difficult to work with. And I have absolutely no problem with them at all. Now, what the difference is, I don't know. Yes. Am yeah. I putting myself into his shoes in a different way? Maybe. Hmm. Well, uh, as you say, it, it's those experiences that we have that we can then bring in as the anecdotes, the, the nuances, and that makes the difference. So, yeah, could be. Marjorie, I'm very grateful to you for today's uh, little podcast. Thank you very, very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. Very um, interesting to talk to someone doing more or less the same type of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And to all our listeners, thank you very much for tuning in again for another episode of What is Language Coaching? And join me next time for another interview on this topic. <laughs>